Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya, that's Creole for something extra. The 64th Annual Grammy Awards Ceremony is back after a spike in COVID-19 cases forced a three-month postponement from January. One week from tonight, on April 3rd, a whopping 34 Berklee College of Music alumni hope to hear their names read as Grammy Award winners. Every year, Berklee, Boston's local music powerhouse, claims Grammy nominees across various categories. Two of the Berklee alumni nominees for 2022 are Aruj Aftab and Charlie Rosen. Aruj Aftab is a Brooklyn-based Pakistani vocalist, music composer, and producer. She's been nominated for Best New Artist and Best Global Music Performance. Her latest album is Vulture Prince. Aruj has been described as a boundary-breaking artist who draws from jazz, Hindustani classical, folk, and even reggae to create her one-of-a-kind sound that's caught the attention of people worldwide. Charlie Rosen is a Tony Award-winning composer, arranger, producer, and performer, nominated for Best Arrangement, Instrumental, or Acapella. He works scoring to visuals and in a wide variety of band performance settings, including performances in nationally recognized jazz festivals, Broadway, and off-Broadway musical theater productions. He's the band leader of the 8-Bit Big Band, a jazz and pops orchestra that reimagines video game music. And both Arouge and Charlie join me now. Welcome to Under the Radar. Thank you for having me. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm delighted to have both of you. I'm going to start with you, Charlie, because you grew up literally with music all around you. Both of your <laughs> parents were into music. You now play some 70 instruments. You know, there, it seems to me there was no escaping it for you. You were going to end up in this field, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels that way, yeah. Although, I, you know, I will say my parents, they always say, you know, we, we didn't force it on you. We gave you a choice. If, if you want to do something else, you could have. You just always really uh, you just always really wanted to make noise on various things around the house. So we, you know, uh, encouraged that. And how did you get from all of the choices that you had, and clearly you had many since you're playing 70 instruments, to this niche area that you're in now in which you play or make or arrange music for video games? Okay, that's a great question. I love I really love answering this question because it lets me really talk about like the whole mission statement of the 8-bit big band. So, you know, we talk a lot about um in just the body of of musical works that we have as a society, there are these sort of like uh collections of media, like canons of of songs and material that we grow up with through experiences with various other kinds of media. For example, you have Broadway shows through the years which people would go see and that created a catalog of known music that everybody grew up together there's film scores that created themes and songs that people know that's a canon of its own there's the great american songbook and in the mid-century in the 20th century and all through it it was uh you know sort of the responsibility and 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 privilege of other jazz musicians and artists and arrangers and singers and you know quincy joneses and nelson riddles and ella fitzgeralds to take those materials from these various canons of collective knowledge 
and reimagine them and reinterpret them, put their spin on them, do their thing. And now we have a whole generation that's about, you know, 30 years long of people who grew up with their own new canon of music through the medium of video games, themes and songs that we all know and love through the experience of playing these games. We are now left with a whole new canon I'm calling, you know, lovingly the great video game songbook <laughs> of these themes and ideas that people love. They remind them of their childhood, their youth, they, their contemporary uh, that we can now draw upon in the same way that those arrangers of the past did and reimagine them and reinterpret them with the same sort of studio jazz orchestra singers and soloists way that that has just been being done in contemporary music for the last hundred years with various other canons of work. And I'm one of those people. I'm a product of that. I was, I'm a lifelong gamer. I'm a lifelong musician. I've always loved large ensemble music. I love a bunch of musicians getting together and playing together and, and soloing and improvising and, and big string sections and big horn sections. And so it, it kind of was a natural fit to do this. And I sort of noticed there are luckily a lot of orchestras nowadays playing video game music and they're all amazing. And it's come really more and more every year into the forefront. You have tours playing the music from Zelda, the music from Assassin's Creed, and they're all these incredible symphonic orchestras and they're adding a lot of legitimacy to the, this body of music. But I sort of saw there wasn't quite as many well-known orchestras doing like the pop side of it, the jazz side of it, you know, the soloists, the featured guests, the, you know, having an MC crooning, having singers, people sounding like the Rat Pack, you know, things that are sort of more <laughs> like fun in that vein. And that's just something I've always really loved. And so it kind of, uh, after somewhat of an inspiring uh, trip I took to Japan, where I took a lesson from a Japanese musician who, uh, who also, he, you know, this is somewhat of a tangent, but I took, I took a lesson on shamisen, which is a Japanese instrument with this guy. And he told me that his thing is he plays all video game music in traditional Japanese ensemble that he arranges. And I thought, man, that is so cool. You know, I play, I play big band. I was on the plane listening to his album. Like, oh man, this is awesome. I love video game music. And it just sort of clicked like, you know what? I'm going to do this with video game music too. Cut to a few years later, I've learned that there is a huge and ravenous scene and appreciation on the internet for video game music centered around YouTube and social media. There's huge video game music festivals. There's one called MAGFest in DC that has like thousands of attendees and video game music bands pouring out of every part of this huge hotel complex. So I've, I've really like come to be a part of this amazing growing, still somewhat niche, but ever growing scene of people who love and appreciate the canon of video game music. Okay, well, yeah. that was quite the journey. Um, <laughs> I love, I love that um, question. I love answering that question. I'm going to uh, let our listeners hear uh, a song that was quite popular by your group, not the one you are nominated for a Grammy. We're going to hold that for a second. So here's a clip from the Eight Bit Band's most popular song on Spotify, "Still Alive," sung oh, yeah. by Benny Benack III and arranged and produced by Charlie Rosen. This was a triumph I'm making a note here A huge success It's hard to overstate my satisfaction All right, so everybody got a taste of Charlie <laughs> Rosen. I'm moving over to my other guest, Aruj Aftab. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you. And it's interesting because uh, Charlie took a little bit of 
kind of an old style, the big band, and, you know, moved into something new. And that's exactly what you've done also, Aruz. Mm -hmm. You've Mm -hmm. gone back, looked at that traditional music um, uh, from Pakistan and moved it into the new. Tell us about that. And by the way, I'd like you also to talk about your early musical beginnings, because there wasn't a lot of music going on encouraging you when you were growing up. Um, Actually, similar to Charlie's story, I grew up with a lot of music around me. Like my parents uh, had an extreme love for music and music discourse. That's kind of how they fell in love with each other in in college and then like all of their college friends also just like really sort of like very true sort of 70s liberal gang you know (laughs) and you know so they would love to just sort of sit around together and like play tapes and stuff and like different sort of you know concerts of of some of the some of the musicians and singers that they loved and and would just like to talk about it and 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 then they would invite artists over as well for dinner parties and just also themselves be like singing and playing and and so there was just so much of that in the house all the time growing up and so it just really felt like music was part of the was like the the furniture for me it was very natural to kind of grow up listening to lots of different types of genres and like especially the music discourse like the fact that they would have their listener their their listening was very deep um, and it was not just like whatever is popular or whatever is like Bollywood or whatever. They really loved um, talking about poetry and dance and art and how like the rich culture of ours sort of evolved over time and all the linkages. So they would be just sort of a lot of that in the house growing up, um, which led me to naturally kind of want to do it. You know, we didn't have anyone who played instruments uh, in the family or anything like that. And there wasn't a lot of access to that on a formal level like there isn't really the tradition like European tradition or Western tradition of like you know your four-year-old has piano lessons <laughs> right um that's what I meant that you were having ha- that it was hard for you to get access to figure out how could you be a part of it yeah yeah I mean I was a part of it by just being like a really active listener um from a very young age and into my teens and then and then wanting to just and then just sort of like being self-taught like I I started playing guitar and then started doing like weird you know sort of avant-garde guitar compositions when I like on the guitar when I was like 12 just like super atonal and people are like what are you doing like <laughs> you can you can you play Wonderwall please and I was like, <laughs> like what no please I don't want to and then I you know they're just like you can't just come to school with a guitar as a teenager and not be like accosted by everybody being like play us you do like, you know? <laughs> like at that time uh so anyway that was kind of how I like kind of got got around to it well then you broke through and I want to emphasize this to our listeners there was no Mm -hmm. YouTube okay there was no Spotify you broke through with people passing around on email clips (laughs) (laughs) your cover of the song hallelujah this is back in 2007 let's take a listen it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift, the baffled king composes, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
Again, that is not what you were nominated for. I want to let our listeners know you're nominated in two categories, Best New Artist, for which there are 10 nominees, including, people want to know, Olivia Rodrigo, uh, Billie mm-hmm. Eilish's brother Phineas, the rapper Sweetie. <laughs> I mean, this is just a wild category. Jimmy <laughs> Allen, the country music singer. Um, and Glass Animals, Japanese Breakfast. I mean, there's a lot of people in there. And then you're also nominated in the Best Global Music Performance. You're in the category with Angelique Kijo, Femi Kuti, and Wizkid. Angelique Kijo is in there twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I tell She's, you, it's, it's amazing. I know. I mean, Angelique Kijo wins that category a lot. So the fact that she's even in there twice is crazy. And Yo-Yo Ma, it's like, it's really like definitely going there to just like smile and lose, you know? (laughs) No, 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 no. Were you surprised to be nominated? And how excited are you about it? And I'm going to tell our people what, what you're nominated for in a second. But were you surprised? I was very, very surprised. And also not at the same time. It's like a weird thing because I felt that like, my record was good and had been receiving like a lot of excitement and admiration all year. Uh, And like when Obama shouted it out, I was like, well, hey, look, if Obama's listening to it, (laughs) then I don't know, you know, Um, I was like, you know, this might be the one guys. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, come on, put it in there, submit it to the Grammys. Let's talk to people about it. I, I think it's good. And they were like, please, please, you know, settle down. You just, you just, you're new. Okay. And, and sure, of course, you're so amazing. You know, they, you will get, you will. And I was like, look, stop this. Okay. Support mm. the ambition of a woman who knows that her work is good and it is speaking for itself. Like we have to do this and I'm not embarrassed about this. Like we have to submit it to the best new artist category. We have to submit it to the record of the year category and we'll see, and we will talk to people, every single person that we know and let them know that we are gunning for this. And so I was kind of being insane about it um, more so than, than my team was or than anyone else was. Cause they were just like, she's crazy. Uh, <laughs> And well, how, like, how, how do you describe your music? Because you rarely sing in English. You sing in Urdu a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play Mahabit, which is the song that you're nominated for and the one that President Barack Obama put on his summer playlist last year, which has brought a lot of attention to you. But at first, how, how would you describe your music? So I think it's kind of like I it combines a bunch of it combines all of my experiences so it is a very personal music it's not a traditional music in any sense it's not a heritage music you know it's not ancient uh from my from my land you know it's just a really like i spent i studied at berkeley i inherited a lot of jazz i hung out i i all of my new york sort of music community is largely the jazz community i also have a really extreme love for like acoustic guitar and and artists like kaki king and you know crosby stills and nash and just like you know, Michael Hedges and, and just a lot of folk guitar stuff and, and, and also classical guitar, you know, and, and I have a lot of love for, for minimalism, like Terry Riley. And so all of those things kind of have, after many years of just kind of being in it, they've all, they're all, all of those avenues have been inherited into my musical persona. And I think that they are all, and of course, you know, like, 12th century poetry that's about being drunk and in love you know from (laughs) from Sufism and and you know what I mean like so everything has kind of come together into this record 
finally, after sort of incubating it and wanting and like saying it with my words and, and trying to aspiring to how, like, how does that translate actually then musically? How do you do all of that? You know, and I think I've just finally begun to get it, you know, and, and that's what Vulture Prince mm -hmm. sounds like. And I don't know if that's, that's a very long genre description. <laughs> Well, both of you have some detail to explain to people, which I appreciate. So I think our, uh, all of us uh, appreciate your doing that. Let's take a clip so that people can hear. This is your recording, Mohabit, which was listed on former President Barack Obama's 2021 summer playlist and is nominated from your album, Vulture Prince. Well, what's not to love about that? It's fabulous. <laughs> I want to raise up the fact that you double majored at uh, Berkeley in jazz composition and music production and engineering, which I have to tell you blows my mind a little bit. So congratulations to you on that. I want to come back to you, Charlie, for just a bit because I need to play the piece for which you are nominated. Sure. And then I want to get both of your takes on Berkeley's influence on you. So first, here's Charlie Rosen who is nominated in for Best Arrangement Instrumental or Acapella, and a clip from Meta Knight's Revenge, played by his band, The 8-Bit Band. There's a lot of arranging going on in there. <laughs> With, uh, I should mention that your band is often between 30 and 65 members playing. So it is a big band. Now, mm -hmm. uh, first to you, Charlie. Tell me what uh, being at Berkeley, what you got from being at Berkeley, and if it matters, also in Boston, how that influenced your work. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a huge cheerleader for Berkeley in general and the fact that I felt like for me it was uh, such a perfect fit because uh, you know I feel sort of like somewhat of a musical Swiss army knife and I think what it means to really be a well-rounded musician and certainly an arranger and somebody who's being called upon to 
realize the potential in all sorts of genres of music and and in and helping collaborate with various artists uh it felt sort of like one of if not the only sort of institution musically in the states that really embraced all disciplines and genres of music uh and gave access to those various cultures and traditions from around the world from various time periods brought people in and really created a melting pot of all sorts of different uh genres for for people to be exposed to from all corners of the world and and i felt like that that was just a really important thing to be able to experience that and be exposed to that so that those things could sit in the you know sort of musical soup of your brain as an artist and stir around and combine in interesting ways and and come back out and in, in your own creative vocabulary and i, I feel like one of my issues with a lot of other uh, institutions of higher music learning is that they're very straight and narrow about like we do classical and we do straight ahead jazz and that's sort of it. You can do other stuff on your own if you want, but here we're teaching Western classical and institutionalized jazz. And, you know, it feels very limiting in, in a huge way. And I feel like Berkeley very actively works against that stereotype of a, of a, a conservatory. And I found that to be invaluable as a musician and working in the contemporary field, you know, in the world today in 2022. So that was, that's my takeaway from Berkeley is why I love it. Okay. Aru, same question to you. What did Berkeley and if it matters being in Boston do to influence uh, your work? Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, I'll echo Charlie's, Charlie's words for sure. Like, I mean, when I started, when I joined Berkeley, their tagline was nothing conservatory about it. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, they're so cheeky. I love this. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, they're kind of mocking the entire rest of the organized music education industry with this thing. But, you know, it, it's, it's exactly why I was drawn to it too, because I wanted, I, ha I knew nothing. I had no music education whatsoever. So I had to start from like the beginning of the beginning when I got there. And I was just really hungry to learn, you know, I had no tools to express what I needed to express musically. And so I, I that's why I, I really needed to study jazz theory from scratch. And I really needed to study production because I think like knowing the studio side of it is so important as well, because that's a whole world of like how to explain sonically what you want, as opposed to just like who you want to be playing on your thing and what parts they're playing. Uh, and Berkeley was really good for that, for the flexibility and for curating a culture that was like kind of mixed and, you know, was sensitive to to the culture of jazz for the most part and like continued to build on that, you know. Um, and I guess, yeah, you know, I was just there. I, I Like everybody, I couldn't even believe that there was a place like that where everyone is also like their nerdy music. The one nerdy <laughs> music kid from every high school across the globe is just now suddenly we're all together. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and yeah, just the, you know, the... Um, that thing not being there that uptightness of being in a conservatory because you know nec like was right there so being in boston around like the other art schools kind of gave us a sense of you know what exactly gave me a sense who had not come from any like arranger's background or some like greek conservatory or whatever like you know i i saw and appreciated how free Berkeley allowed its 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 students to be and how much it encouraged us to mingle with each other and also improvise and experiment. So I do appreciate that a lot. All right. 
Well, I'm delighted to have talked to both of you. I just want to alert my listeners that you both have interesting stuff coming up. You are working on some arrangements for the remake of the 1959 film Some Like It Hot, starring Marilyn Monroe as Sugar Cane. People may mm-hmm. remember that. And Aruz, you are working on your fourth album, and you also play with your jazz trio, Love in Exile. People should look for that. And I'm offering mm-hmm. congratulations to both of you ahead of time because all my fingers are crossed that you win. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Aruj Aftab is a Brooklyn-based Pakistani vocalist, music composer, and producer. She was nominated for the 2022 Grammy Awards for Best New Artist and Best Global Music Performance. Charlie Rosen is a composer, arranger, producer, and performer who was nominated for the 2022 Grammy Award for Best Arrangement, Instrumental, or Acapella. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubley and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Vanessa Handy. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. 